RTL Original Podcast. The death of a child is something no parent should ever have to go through. To give birth to a new life and to see that life vanish and be forced to live with the thought that somebody must have taken your baby's life is simply unimaginable. Flipping through a photo album with pictures of your baby filled with colourful and happy memories only for it to come to an abrupt end on the final page with one single black and white picture. The obituary of your child. There is no more after that. This is what Chantal and George Bernardo went through 37 years ago. Their son, the 22-month-old Philippe, died mysteriously after being poisoned with strychnine, commonly used as rat poison. Then a year and a half later, in a separate case, a 42-year-old man was found dead in the basement of a house, buried into a thick layer of concrete. The autopsy finds traces of strychnine. To this day, both cases remain unsolved, Nobody has been brought to justice. So who could have taken the lives of these two innocent individuals, let alone a child? And how does it feel, after nearly four decades, to live with the thought that you may never know who took your baby away from you? Welcome to this week's episode of DNA. Now, before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that almost all of the information in this episode is based on a brilliantly written investigative piece by Telecran journalist Maryse Lanners. An additional investigative work was done by Guy Weber for RTL. Let's start with the day in question. On the 4th of March 1984, this was Lent Sunday, the 26-year-old Chantal and the 29-year-old George Bernardo had just finished eating dinner with their two sons. Eric, who was five, and their youngest, Philippe, who was just about to turn two. The family had planned to go for an afternoon walk, and while Chantal was finishing off the dishes in the kitchen, George was getting the children ready to go outside. Suddenly, Philippe started getting severe diarrhoea. His mother gave him the contents of two ultra-levure capsules, which is commonly used in treating and preventing diarrhoea. This is a form of medicine that can be purchased at your local pharmacy, and she broke open the capsules and placed the contents on a spoon, as the capsules were too large for a child to swallow. And despite frequently having taken the medicine, this time Philippe fought back at his mother. He did not want it. She had to force her son to take the powder. Shortly after, poor Philippe got severe cramps and lost consciousness. His mother immediately called 112, and Philippe was rushed to the children's hospital by ambulance. His condition was deteriorating very quickly, and then after two days his heart stopped beating. He did not survive. The initial diagnosis of an encephalite foudroyante, the medical French term for a sudden inflammation of the brain, was abruptly refuted when the desperate parents released their child's kidneys for transplant. Now, the analysis that is required for such a transplant to take place showed that Philippe had been poisoned with strychnine. This realization hit the parents hard. 
It never occurred to them that somebody might have killed their son willfully, let alone be accused by police of having killed their own child. Now, this is a common occurrence following the death of children. The people closest to them become immediate suspects, including the parents, unfortunately. Chantal Bernardo was initially convinced that a fatal mistake in the manufacturing process of the drug was to blame for the death of her son, and so she began calling pharmacies and pharmaceutical wholesalers in panic to warn them about the product. Both the parents were scouring the house to see if the poison had been hidden somewhere. How did the strychnine enter the body of the child? How did it enter the house in the first place? And who was selling it? The public prosecutor initiated a criminal investigation to the unnatural death of Philippe Bernardo, and as briefly mentioned earlier, the parents were seen as prime suspects by police. There was a house search, interrogations, and the Bernardos had to report again and again about the last hours they had experienced with their son Philippe. But police found no traces of strychnine anywhere in the house, found nothing incriminating, and ended up removing the parents from the list of suspects. Police then went to all pharmacies in the country to check up on any medicine or product that was out of place, but the investigators were left completely in the dark for a year and a half. The whole family was thrown off course. The perpetrator not only killed a child, he also threw a whole family off track, Philippe's mother said in an interview with Telecran. Her other son, Eric, was completely disturbed by the death of his brother and the subsequent visits by the police. He didn't want to let me touch him anymore because he believed I had killed his brother, said Chantal. To save his wife from utter despair, George Bernardo made a bold decision and did everything possible to adopt another child. I had to somehow take her out of the situation, otherwise she would jump off a bridge, he recalls. In the following years, Chantal Bernardo adopted several more children, but not a single day passes without her thinking about Philippe. I don't want to die before I know what happened to him, she says. It's the uncertainty that the parents struggle with. What happened on that day? Then, in October of 1985, there was a sudden hot lead. A second strychnine murder. The dead man's name was Jose Cordero. But here's the shocking thing. Jose Cordero's wife was the cleaning lady for the Bernardo family. But before we deal with this case, it should be said that, despite some big discoveries and rather crazy stories throughout the case and the interrogations, there was no evidence to prove his wife's guilt, and for that reason, out of respect, we have abbreviated her name to MT. In the two years leading up to his death, Jose Cordero was frequently unwell after eating lunch prepared by his wife. Later questioning by police of some of Cordero's colleagues, found that he was suffering from violent convulsions, twitches and speech disorder at work which only stopped after he had thrown up. And one of the colleagues jokingly told Cordero that his wife was probably poisoning him because he was not being loyal towards her. And indeed, Cordero was said to have had a relationship with his sister-in-law, his wife's sister. But it was actually his lover, the sister-in-law, who pointed out that Jose was not around for weeks on end. 
She was also not getting along very well with Jose's wife, her own sister, and this led her to alert the police that Cordero had been missing for four weeks. Police decided to take a look at the home of Jose Cordero. At some point while searching the house, they made their way down into the basement where they noticed that a particular area of the floor was covered by a carpet, and on top of the carpet stood a table with chairs. When police moved the objects aside, they noticed a septic tank right in that spot in the ground. Now, not everyone may be familiar with this term. A septic tank is an underground chamber made of concrete, fiberglass or plastic through which domestic wastewater flows for basic treatment, and it can be pumped out every few years or so. The police wanted to take a closer look and ordered for the tank to be opened. But it could not be opened manually. Firefighters were called in with heavy machinery to drill open the tank, and as soon as they got through, there was a horrible smell. A body was lying within it, and they had come across Jose Cordero. Before Cordero disappeared, he was very, very ill and had spent several days in hospital. Doctors were unsure as to what his illness was, however, and only later after his death did they conclude that the symptoms could have pointed towards strychnine poisoning. But because homicides with strychnine were very rare at the time, and still luckily remain very rare, nobody had considered it as the cause of death. Now his wife, M.T., was clearly the main suspect at this stage, and the suspicion arose that she could also be to blame for Philippe's death. But imagine that in the time period between both deaths, which were over a year apart, M.T. continued to work as a cleaning lady for the Bernardo family for a period of six months. When the body of her husband was discovered, M.T. had already left the country and been living in Portugal with her children. Following her husband's disappearance, or most likely murder, she separated the annex in which the drained septic tank was located and built a wall between the annex and the rest of the house. The annex was still accessible from outside and now broken off from the main house. It had its own separate door. She changed the keys to the annex, then began the process of selling the main house. Her apparent plan was to return to Portugal, but to set up a small room as accommodation if she were ever to visit Luxembourg. The police were very smart in luring her back to the Grand Duchy. A real estate agency was asked to contact the wife and tell her that there was a potential buyer in Luxembourg for her home, but that she would have to come over to meet them personally. She arrived at Luxembourg station on the 20th of October 1985, with police waiting for her at the platform. She was arrested on the spot, taken in for interrogation through the night, but there was no clear evidence to prove her guilt, despite some shocking revelations. Here are some of these revelations. Investigators assumed that Jose had been poisoned continuously for the years leading up to his death before being disposed of. The day before his death, he had been bedridden, not eating or drinking much. Despite this, his wife had told friends and colleagues that Jose had met a rich woman, cleared his accounts and left for Switzerland. She even informed his work that he was on vacation, and shortly after, a letter magically arrived from Switzerland to back up her story. Jose's daughter, however, immediately noticed that it was not her father's handwriting. 
It turned out that his wife had asked her brother, who indeed lives in Switzerland, to write the letter which she later confessed to. It was the wife who had emptied the accounts and opened new ones. She had even planned her return to Portugal, making it seem like it was shortly after her husband had apparently left her. José Cordero was 42 years old when the police dug up his body on the 16th of October 1985. Now, of course, the Bernardo family was informed about the case. The police told us to keep quiet, remembers Chantal Bernardo. First, they would settle the Cordero case, then that of young Philippe. They were also being warned of a Portuguese mafia with potential involvement. Meanwhile, the Bernardo family asked a lawyer for help. Jean Minden, who represented the Bernardos, was convinced both murders were related. Two murders in Luxembourg within 18 months, both with strychnine, and in both cases, one connected individual. Possibly the anti-diarrhea capsules with strychnine had been moved or replaced. It was speculated. Maybe MT was cleaning the house and had accidentally hid them there, although that is rather hard to believe. The bitter taste of the poison would also explain why the child resisted taking the drug in such a way. On this Wednesday, before Cordero's death, his wife had been cleaning, as usual, in the home of the Bernardo family. Later, the parents would say that, besides the fact that she was maybe working a little longer on cleaning the windows than they had initially expected, she seemed normal. Chantal Bernardo said MT was very calm and friendly person, who did admit she had issues at home because of her husband, and that they had also two kids together. It was a woman who had to work hard, worked hard for a living. She still worked at the family's home for six months following the death of young Philippe. It would be incredibly difficult to imagine that Philippe Bernardo was murdered and that the potential murderer was still working in the house for half a year. Could she have had two faces? Marcel Spirinelli was the police officer who investigated the case, who has now in fact shared his experiences on the case in a book called The Perfect Murder. It's a story that he has not been able to let go of, and in an interview with Telecran, he explained that he and his colleagues were sure that Cordero had been murdered. So what if it was not murder? Could it have been suicide? Well, the problem with this theory is that the septic tank was so small and was filled up with concrete that somebody, or even more than one person, must have aided José Cordero in the process. It may also have been asphyxiation, somebody wrapped him up in his sleep and dumped him down there, then filled up the tank with concrete. And the issue was that only 0.04 milligrams of strychnine was found in Cordero's body, which is not enough by itself to kill a person. So the cause of death remained unclear. However, the daughter of the couple had seen the mother with a white powder, but none of it was ever found in the home, and the powder could have been something else. But there was a witness on the night of Jose's death. His name was Frederick Mendez, and his father used to be very good friends with Jose Cordero and also lived at his house. In return for probably free accommodation, he would aid in keeping the house clean. Now, Frederick would often go visit, and the boy became good friends with Jose Cordero's son. He was ten at the time, and Cordero's son was eight. 
One night, Frederick was asked by MT to not share the bedroom with her son, as they usually did, but he should sleep separately with his father downstairs. As kids do, they said yes. But then, when everybody headed off to bed, he would sneak up the stairs to his friend's room. And that night, he heard footsteps out in the corridor. Peeking through the gap between the door and the floor, he could see legs and feet, although not recognize any faces. It looked and sounded like somebody was being dragged down the stairs. Frederick recalled it as the sound of a big, heavy bag of potatoes being dragged down the steps. Then all went quiet. Frederick told his story to police and reenacted what he had seen peeking under the door. But police said it was not possible for him to have seen anything. You couldn't possibly have noticed somebody being dragged down the stairs in the middle of the night, and his witness account was scrapped. After 150 days in prison, MT was released due to a lack of evidence in the case. Could Jose Cordero have had any other enemies that we do not know of? What about the mention of this Portuguese mafia? And why would his wife leave the country and pretend that he had a secret lover in Switzerland, empty his bank accounts, and send a fake letter without even making the effort to get his handwriting right? Her own children even believed something was wrong. And MT's sister was the one who noticed Jose Cordero had gone missing. And why would she otherwise sell the house, but keep a tiny piece of it, the annex, the place her murdered husband was dumped in and would stay? Frustration and anger. After thirty years, there is no justice for young Philippe, or Jose Cordero. Chantal and George Bernardo said they would like to look empty in the eyes one more time. They are not convinced of her innocence. They want to put an end to the countless letter writing, speaking to justice officials and police, and the worry that they may never find out how and why their child's life was taken so abruptly. And that's all we can tell you this week about the cases of Philippe Bernardo and Jose Cordero. That's it. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. 